Act Two, Part One of Heartbreak House. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Heartbreak House by George Bernard Shaw. Act Two, Part One. The same room with the lights turned up and the curtains drawn. Ellie comes in, followed by Mangan. Both are dressed for dinner. She strolls to the drawing table. He comes between the table and the wicker chair. What a dinner! I don't call it a dinner. I call it a meal. I am accustomed to meals, Mr. Mangan, and very lucky to get them. Besides, the captain cooked some macaroni for me. Too rich. I can't eat such things. I suppose it's because I have to work so much with my brain. That's the worst of being a man of business. You're always thinking, thinking, thinking. By the way, now that we are alone, may I take the opportunity to come to a little understanding with you? Ellie, settling into the draughtsman's seat. Certainly. I should like to. Should you? Well, that surprises me, for I thought I noticed this afternoon that you avoided me all you could. Not for the first time, either. I was very tired and upset. I wasn't used to the ways of this extraordinary house. Please forgive me. That's all right, I don't mind. But Captain Shotover has been talking to me about you. You and me, you know. The captain? What did he say? Well, he noticed the difference between our ages. He notices everything. You don't mind, then? Of course I know quite well that our engagement— Oh, you call it an engagement? Well, isn't it? Oh, yes, yes, no doubt it is if you hold to it. This is the first time you've used the word, and I didn't quite know where we stood. That's all. He sits down in the wicker chair and resigns himself to allow her to lead the conversation. Uh, you were saying— uh... Was I? I forget. Tell me, do you like this part of the country? I heard you ask Mr. Hushabye at dinner whether there are any nice houses to let down here. I like the place. The air suits me. I shouldn't be surprised if I settled down here. Nothing would please me better. The air suits me, too, and I want to be near Hesione. Uh, the air may suit us, but the question is, should we suit one another? Have you thought about that? Mr. Mangan, we must be sensible, mustn't we? It's no use pretending that we are Romeo and Juliet. But we can get on very well together if we choose to make the best of it. Your kindness of heart will make it easy for me. Mangan, leaning forward with the beginning of something like deliberate unpleasantness in his voice. Kindness of heart, hm? I ruined your father, didn't I? Oh, not intentionally. Yes, I did. I ruined him on purpose. On purpose? Not out of ill nature, you know. But you'll admit that I kept a job for him when I had finished with him. But... Business is business, and I ruined him as a matter of business. I don't understand how that can be. Are you trying to make me feel that I need not be grateful to you, so that I may choose freely? Mangan, rising aggressively. No, I mean what I say. But how could it possibly do you any good to ruin my father? The money he lost was yours. <laughs> was mine? <laughs> it is mine, Miss Ellie, and all the money the other fellows lost, too. He shoves his hands into his pockets and shows his teeth. I just smoked them out like a hive of bees. What do you say to that? Bit of a shock, hm? It would have been this morning. 
Now you can't think how little it matters. But it's quite interesting. Only you must explain it to me. I don't understand it. Propping her elbows on the drawing-board and her chin on her hands, she composes herself to listen with a combination of conscious curiosity with unconscious contempt, which provokes him to more and more unpleasantness, and an attempt at patronage of her ignorance. Of course you don't understand. What do you know about business? You just listen and learn. Your father's business was a new business, and I don't start new businesses. I let other fellows start them. They put all their money and their friends' money into starting them. They wear out their souls and bodies trying to make a success of them. That's what you call enthusiasts. But the first dead lift to the thing is too much for them, and they haven't enough financial experience. In a year or so, they have either to let the whole show go bust or sell out to a new lot of fellows for a few deferred ordinary shares. That is, if they're lucky enough to get anything at all. As likely as not, the very same thing happens to the new lot. They put in more money and a couple of years more work, and then perhaps they have to sell out to a third lot. <laughs> if it's really a big thing, the third lot will have to sell out too, and leave their work and their money behind them. And that's where the real businessman comes in, where I come in. But I'm cleverer than some. I don't mind dropping a little money to start the process. I took your father's measure. I saw that he had a sound idea, and that he would work himself silly for it if he got the chance. I saw that he was a child in business, and was dead certain to outrun his expenses and be in too great a hurry to wait for his market. I knew that the surest way to ruin a man who doesn't know how to handle money to give him some. I explained my idea to some friends in the city, and found the money, for I take no risks in ideas, even when they're my own. Your father and the friends that ventured their money with him were no more to me than a heap of squeezed lemons. You've been wasting your gratitude. My kind heart is all rot. I'm sick of it. When I see your father beaming at me with his moist, grateful eyes, regularly wallowing in gratitude, I sometimes feel I must tell him the truth or burst. What stops me is that I know he wouldn't believe me. He'd think it was my modesty, as you did just now. He'd think anything rather than the truth, which is that he's a blamed fool and I am a man who knows how to take care of himself. He throws himself back into the big chair with large self-approval. Now, what do you think of me, Miss Ellie? Ellie, dropping her hands. How strange that my mother, who knew nothing at all about business, should have been quite right about you. She always said, not before Papa, of course, but to us children, that you were just that sort of man. Mangan, sitting up, much hurt. Oh, did she? And yet she'd have let you marry me. Well, you see, Mr. Mangan, my mother married a very good man, for whatever you may think of my father as a man of business, he is the soul of goodness, and she is not at all keen on my doing the same. Anyhow, you don't want to marry me now, do you? Oh, I think so. Why not? Mangan, rising aghast. Why not? I don't see why we shouldn't get on very well together. Well, but look here, you know. Well? Well, I thought you were rather particular about people's characters. 
If we women were particular about men's characters, we should never get married at all, Mr. Mangan. A child like you talking of we women. What next? You're not in earnest. Yes, I am. Aren't you? You mean to hold me to it? Do you wish to back out of it? Oh, no, not exactly back out of it. Well? He has nothing to say. With a long whispered whistle, he drops into the wicker chair and stares before him like a beggared gambler. But a cunning look soon comes into his face. He leans over towards her on his right elbow and speaks in a low, steady voice. Suppose I told you I was in love with another woman. Suppose I told you I was in love with another man. Mangan, bouncing angrily out of his chair. I'm not joking. Who told you I was? I tell you I'm serious. You're too young to be serious, but you'll have to believe me. I want to be near your friend, Mrs. Hushabai. I'm in love with her. Now the murder's out. I want to be near your friend, Mr. Hushabai. I'm in love with him. She rises. Now we are in one another's confidence. We shall be real friends. Thank you for telling me. Do you think I'll be made a convenience of like this? Come, Mr. Mangan. You made a business convenience of my father. Well, a woman's business is marriage. Why shouldn't I make a domestic convenience of you? Because I don't choose, see? Because I'm not a silly gull like your father, that's why. You are not good enough to clean my father's boots, Mr. Mangan, and I am paying you a great compliment in condescending to make a convenience of you, as you call it. Of course you are free to throw over our engagement if you like, but if you do, you'll never enter Hesione's house again. I will take care of that. You little devil! You've done me! On the point of collapsing into the big chair again, he recovers himself. Wait a bit. You are not so cute as you think. You can't beat Boss Mangan as easy as that. Suppose I go straight to Mrs. Hushabye and tell her that you're in love with her husband. She knows it. You told her? She told me. Oh, this is a crazy house. Or else I'm going clean off my chump. Is she making a swap with you the, to have your husband and you to have hers? Well, you don't want us both, do you? Mangan, throwing himself into the chair distractedly. Oh, my brain won't stand it. My head's going to split. Help! Help me to hold it! Quick! Hold it! Squeeze it! Save me! Ellie comes behind his chair, clasps his head hard for a moment, then begins to draw her hands from his forehead back to his ears. Thank you. That's very refreshing. Don't you hypnotize me, though. I've seen men made fools of by hypnotism. Be quiet. I've seen men made fools of without hypnotism. You don't dislike touching me, I hope. You never touched me before, I noticed. Not since you fell in love naturally with a grown-up nice woman who will never expect you to make love to her, and I will never expect him to make love to me. He may, though. Ellie making her passes rhythmically. Hush. Go to sleep. Do you hear? You are to go to sleep. Go to sleep. Go to sleep. Be quiet. Deeply, deeply quiet. Sleep. 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 He falls asleep. Ellie steals away, turns the light out, and goes into the garden. Nurse Guinness opens the door and is seen in the light which comes in from the hall. 
Mr. Mangan's not here, Ducky. There's no one here. It's all dark. Try the garden. Mr. Dunn and I will be in my boudoir. Show him the way. Yes, Ducky. She makes for the garden door in the dark, stumbles over the sleeping Mangan, and screams. Ah, oh, oh, Lord, sir! I beg your pardon, I'm sure. I didn't see you in the dark. Who is it? She goes back to the door and turns on the light. Oh, Mr. Mangan, sir, I hope I haven't hurt you plumping into your lap like that. Coming to him. I was looking for you, sir. Mrs. Hushaby says, will you please— Noticing that he remains quite insensible. Oh, my good Lord, I hope I haven't killed him. Sir, Mr. Mangan, sir. She shakes him, and he is rolling inertly off the chair on the floor when she holds him up and props him against the cushion. Miss Hessie, Miss Hessie, quick, doughty darling, Miss Hessie. Mrs. Hushaby comes in from the hall, followed by Mazzini Dunn. Oh, Miss Hessie, I've been and killed him. Mazzini runs round the back of the chair to Mangan's right hand, and sees that the nurse's words are apparently only too true. What tempted you to commit such a crime, woman? Do you mean you did it on purpose? Now is it likely I'd kill any man on purpose? I fell over him in the dark, and I'm a pretty tidy weight. He never spoke nor moved until I shook him, and then he would have dropped dead on the floor. Isn't it tiresome? Mrs. Hushaby, going past the nurse to Mangan's side, and inspecting him less credulously than Mazzini. "'Nonsense! He is not dead. He is only asleep. I can see him breathing.' "'But why won't he wake?' "'Mangan! My dear Mangan!' He blows into Mangan's ear. "'That's no good!' She shakes him vigorously. "'Mr. Mangan, wake up! Do you hear?' He begins to roll over. "'Oh, nurse! Nurse, he's falling! Help me!' Nurse Guinness rushes to the rescue. With Mazzini's assistance, Mangan is propped safely up again. Guinness, behind the chair, bending over to test the case with her nose. "'Would he be drunk, do you think, Pitt?' "'Had he any of Papa's rum?' "'It can't be that. He is most abstemious. I'm afraid he drank too much formerly, and has to drink too little now.' You know, Mrs. Hushaby, I really think he has been hypnotized. Hypno-what, sir? One evening at home, after we had seen a hypnotizing performance, the children began playing at it, and Ellie stroked my head. I assure you I went off dead asleep, and they had to send for a professional to wake me up after I had slept eighteen hours. They had to carry me upstairs, and as the poor children were not very strong, they let me slip, and I rolled right down the whole flight and never woke up. <laughs> oh, you may laugh, Mrs. Hushabye, but I might have been killed. I couldn't have helped laughing even if you had been, Mr. Dunn. So Ellie has hypnotized him. What fun! Oh, no, no, no. It was such a terrible lesson to her. Nothing would induce her to try such a thing again. Then who did it? I didn't. I thought perhaps the captain might have done it unintentionally. He is so fearfully magnetic. I feel vibrations whenever he comes close to me. The captain will get him out of it anyhow, sir. I'll back him for that. I'll go fetch him. She makes for the pantry. Wait a bit. You say he is all right for eighteen hours? Well, I was asleep for eighteen hours. Were you any the worse for it? I don't quite remember. 
they had poured brandy down my throat you see and quite anyhow you survived nurse darling go and ask miss dunn to come to us here say i want to speak to her particularly you will find her with mr hushabye probably i think not ducky miss addy is with him but i'll find her and send her to you she goes out into the garden mrs hushabye calling mazzini's attention to the figure on the chair now mr dunn look just look look hard do you still intend to sacrifice your daughter to that thing you have completely upset me mrs hushabye by all you have said to me that any one could imagine that i i a consecrated soldier of freedom if i may say so could sacrifice ellie to anybody or any one or that i should ever have dreamed of forcing her inclinations in any way is a most painful blow to my well i suppose you would say to my good opinion of myself sorry what is your objection to poor mangan mrs hushabye he looks all right to me but then i am so accustomed to him have you no heart have you no sense look at the brute think of poor weak innocent ellie in the clutches of this slave-driver who spends his life making thousands of rough violent workmen bend to his will and sweat for him a man accustomed to have great masses of iron beaten into shape for him by steam-hammers to fight with women and girls over a halfpenny an hour ruthlessly a captain of industry i think you call him don't you are you going to fling your delicate sweet helpless child into such a beast's claws just because he will keep her in an expensive house and make her wear diamonds to show how rich he is bless you dear mrs hushabye what romantic ideas of business you have poor dear mangan isn't a bit like that poor dear mangan indeed but he doesn't know anything about machinery he never goes near the men he couldn't manage them he is afraid of them i never can get him to take the least interest in the works he hardly knows more about them than you do people are cruelly unjust to mangan they think he is all rugged strength just because his manners are bad do you mean to tell me he isn't strong enough to crush poor little ellie of course it's very hard to say how any marriage will turn out but speaking for myself i should say that he won't have a dog's chance against ellie you know ellie has remarkable strength of character i think it is because i taught her to like shakespeare when she was very young shakespeare the next thing you will tell me is that you could have made a great deal more money than mangan she retires to the sofa and sits down at the port end of it in the worst of humours mazzini following her and taking the other end no i'm no good at making money i don't care enough for it somehow i'm not ambitious that must be it mangan is wonderful about money he thinks of nothing else he is so dreadfully afraid of being poor i am always thinking of other things even at the works i think of the things we are doing and not of what they cost and the worst of it is poor mangan doesn't know what to do with his money when he gets it he is such a baby that he doesn't know even what to eat and drink he has ruined his liver eating and drinking the wrong things and now he can hardly eat at all ellie will diet him splendidly you will be surprised when you come to know him better 
he is really the most helpless of mortals you get quite a protective feeling towards him then who manages his business pray i do and of course other people like me footling people you mean i suppose you'd think us so and pray why don't you do without him if you're all so much cleverer oh we couldn't we should ruin the business in a year i've tried and i know we should spend too much on everything we should improve the quality of the goods and make them too dear we should be sentimental about the hard cases among the workpeople but mangan keeps us in order he is down on us about every extra halfpenny we can never do without him you see he will sit up all night thinking of how to save sixpence won't ellie make him jump though when she takes his house in hand then the creature is a fraud even as a captain of industry i am afraid all the captains of industry are what you call frauds mrs hushabye of course there are some manufacturers who really do understand their own works but they don't make as high a rate of profit as mangan does i assure you mangan is quite a good fellow in his way he means well he doesn't look well he is not in his first youth is he after all no husband is in his first youth for very long mrs hushabye and men can't afford to marry in their first youth nowadays now if i said that it would sound witty why can't you say it wittily what on earth is the matter with you why don't you inspire everybody with confidence with respect i think that what is the matter with me is that i am poor you don't know what that means at home mind i don't say they have ever complained they've all been wonderful they've been proud of my poverty they've even joked about it quite often but my wife has had a very poor time of it she has been quite resigned Ugh. there you see mrs hushabye i don't want ellie to live on resignation do you want her to have to resign herself to living with a man she doesn't love are you sure that would be worse than living with a man she did love if he was a footling person you know i really think you must love ellie very much for you become quite clever when you talk about her i didn't know i was so very stupid on other subjects you are sometimes mazzini turning his head away for his eyes are wet i have learnt a good deal about myself from you mrs hushabye and i'm afraid i shall not be the happier for your plain speaking but if you thought i needed it to make me think of ellie's happiness you were very much mistaken mrs hushabye leaning towards him kindly have i been a beast it doesn't matter about me mrs hushabye i think you like ellie and that is enough for me i'm beginning to like you a little i perfectly loathed you at first i thought you the most odious self-satisfied boresome elderly prig i ever met i dare say i am all that i never have been a favourite with gorgeous women like you they always frighten me am i a gorgeous woman mazzini i shall fall in love with you presently no you won't hesione but you would be quite safe would you believe it that quite a lot of women have flirted with me because i am quite safe but they get tired of me for the same reason take care 
you may not be so safe as you think oh yes quite safe you see i have been in love really the sort of love that only happens once that's why ellie is such a lovely girl well really you are coming out are you quite sure you won't let me tempt you into a second grand passion quite it wouldn't be natural the fact is you don't strike on my box mrs hushabye and i certainly don't strike on yours i see your marriage was a safety match oh what a very witty application of the expression i used i should never have thought of it ellie comes in from the garden looking anything but happy mrs hushabye rising oh here is ellie at last she goes behind the sofa ellie on the threshold of the starboard door guinness said you wanted me you and papa you've kept us waiting so long that it almost came to <laughs> well never mind your father is a very wonderful man she ruffles his hair affectionately the only one i ever met who could resist me when i made myself really agreeable she comes to the big chair on mangan's left come here i have something to show you ellie strolls listlessly to the other side of the chair look ellie contemplating mangan without interest i know he is only asleep we had a talk after dinner and he fell asleep in the middle of it you did it ellie you put him asleep mazzini rising quickly and coming to the back of the chair oh i hope not did you ellie he asked me to but it's dangerous you know what happened to me oh i dare say i can wake him if not somebody else can it doesn't matter anyhow because i have at last persuaded your father that you don't want to marry him but why did you do that hesione i do want to marry him i fully intend to marry him are you quite sure ellie mrs hushabye have made me feel that i may have been thoughtless and selfish about it papa when mrs hushabye takes it on herself to explain to you what i think or don't think shut your ears tight and shut your eyes too hesione knows nothing about me she hasn't the least notion of the sort of person i am and never will i promise you i won't do anything i don't want to do and mean to do for my own sake you are quite quite sure quite quite sure now you must go away and leave me to talk to mrs hushabye but i should like to hear shall i be in the way i had rather talk to her alone oh well i know what a nuisance parents are dear i will be good and go he goes to the garden door by the way do you remember the address of that professional who woke me up don't you think i had better telegraph to him mrs hushabye moving towards the sofa it's too late to telegraph to-night i suppose so i do hope he'll wake up in the course of the night he goes out into the garden ellie turning vigorously on hesione the moment her father is out of the room hesione what the devil do you mean by making mischief with my father about mangan don't you dare speak to me like that you little minx remember that you are in my house stuff why don't you mind your own business what is it to you whether i choose to marry mangan or not do you suppose you can bully me you miserable little matrimonial adventurer every woman who hasn't any money is a matrimonial adventurer it's easy for you to talk you have never known what it is to want money 
and you can pick up men as if they were daisies. I am poor and respectable. Ha! Huh, respectable! How did you pick up Mangan? How did you pick up my husband? You have the audacity to tell me that I am a ah ah a siren. So you are. You were born to lead men by the nose. If you weren't, Marcus would have waited for me, perhaps. <laughs> oh, my poor Ellie, my petterkins, my unhappy darling. I am so sorry about Hector. But what can I do? It's not my fault. I'd give him to you if I could. I don't blame you for that. What a brute I was to quarrel with you and call you names. Do kiss me and say you're not angry with me. Oh, don't slop and gush and be sentimental. Don't you see that unless I can be hard, as hard as nails, I shall go mad? I don't care a damn about your calling me names. Do you think a woman in my situation can feel a few hard words? Poor little woman. Poor little situation. I suppose you think you're being sympathetic. You are just foolish and stupid and selfish. You see me getting a smasher right in the face that kills a whole part of my life, the best part that can never come again, and you think you can help me over it by a little coaxing and kissing, when I want all the strength I can get to lean on, something iron, something stony. I don't care how cruel it is. You go all mushy and want to slobber over me. I'm not angry. I'm not unfriendly. But for God's sake, do pull yourself together, and don't think that because you're on velvet and always have been, women who are in hell can take it as easily as you. Very well. She sits down on the sofa in her old place. But I warn you that when I am neither coaxing and kissing nor laughing, I am just wondering how much longer I can stand living in this cruel, damnable world. You object to the siren. Well, I drop the siren. You want to rest your wounded bosom against a grindstone? Well, folding her arms, here is the grindstone. Ellie, sitting down beside her, appeased. That's better. You really have the trick of falling in with everyone's mood, but you don't understand, because you are not the sort of woman for whom there is only one man and only one chance. I certainly don't understand how you're marrying that object will console you for not being able to marry Hector. Perhaps you don't understand why I was quite a nice girl this morning, and am now neither a girl nor particularly nice. Oh, yes, I do. It's because you have made up your mind to do something despicable and wicked. I don't think so, Hesione. I must make the best of my ruined house. Pooh! You'll get over it. Your house isn't ruined. Of course I shall get over it. You don't suppose I'm going to sit down and die of a broken heart, I hope? or be an old maid living on a pittance from the sick and indigent room-keepers association. But my heart is broken all the same. What I mean by that is that I know what has happened to me with Marcus will not happen to me ever again. In the world for me there is Marcus and a lot of other men of whom one is just the same as another. Well, if I can't have love, that's no reason why I should have poverty. If Mangan has nothing else, he has money. And are there no young men with money? Not within my reach. Besides, a young man would have the right to expect love from me, and would perhaps leave me when he found I could not give it to him. Rich young men can get rid of their wives, you know, pretty cheaply. But this object, as you call him, can expect nothing more from me than I am prepared to give him. He will be your owner, remember. If he buys you, he will make the bargain pay him and not you. Ask your father." Ellie, rising and strolling to the chair to contemplate their subject. 
You need not trouble on that score, Hesione. I have more to give Boss Mangan than he has to give me. It is I who am buying him, and at a pretty good price, too, I think. Women are better at that sort of bargain than men. I have taken the boss's measure, and ten Boss Mangans shall not prevent me doing far more as I please as his wife than I have ever been able to do as a poor girl. Stooping to the recumbent figure. Shall they, boss? I think not. She passes on to the drawing-table, and leans against the edge of it, facing the windows. I shall not have to spend most of my time wondering how long my gloves will last, anyhow. Mrs. Hushabye, rising superbly. Ellie, you are a wicked, sordid little beast. And to think that I actually condescended to fascinate that creature there to save you from him. Well, let me tell you this. If you make this disgusting match, you will never see Hector again if I can help it. I nailed Mangan by telling him that if he did not marry me, he should never see you again. She lifts herself on her wrists and seats herself on the end of the table. Ugh! So you see, I am not unprepared for your playing that trump against me. Well, you just try it, that's all. I should have made a man of Marcus, not a household pet. You dare! Set him thinking about me if you dare. Well! Of all the impudent little fiends I ever met! Hector says there is a certain point at which the only answer you can give to a man who breaks all the rules is to knock him down. What would you say if I were to box your ears? I should pull your hair. That wouldn't hurt me. Perhaps it comes off at night." Ellie, so taken aback that she drops off the table and runs to her. Oh, you don't mean to say, Hesione, that your beautiful black hair is false? Don't tell Hector. He believes in it. Oh, even the hair that ensnared him false, everything false. Pull it and try. Other women can snare men in their hair, but I can swing a baby on mine. Aha! You can't do that, Goldilocks. No. You have stolen my babies. Oh, Petterkins, don't make me cry. You know what you said about my making a household pet of him is a little true. Perhaps he ought to have waited for you. Would any other woman on earth forgive you? Oh, what right had you to take him all for yourself? There. You couldn't help it. Neither of us could help it. He couldn't help it. No, don't say anything more. I can't bear it. Let us wake the object." She begins stroking Mangan's head, reversing the movement with which she put him to sleep. Wake up, do you hear? You are to wake up at once. Wake up, wake up, wake— Mangan, bouncing out of the chair in a fury and turning on them. Wake up! So you think I've been asleep, do you? You throw me into a trance so that I can't move hand or foot. I might have been buried alive, and to mercy I wasn't. And then you think I was only asleep. If you'd let me drop the two times you rolled me about, my nose would have been flattened for life against the floor. But I found you all out anyhow. I know the sort of people I'm among now. I've heard every word you've said, you and your precious father, and you too. So I'm an object, am I? I'm a thing, am I? I'm a fool that hasn't sense enough to feed myself properly, am I? I'm afraid of the men that would starve if they weren't for the wages I give them, am I? 
I'm nothing but a disgusting old skinflint to be made a convenience of by designing women and fool managers of my works, am I? I... Mr. Mangan, you are bound in honour to obliterate from your mind all you heard while you were pretending to be asleep. It was not meant for you to hear. Pretending to be asleep? Do you think if I was only pretending that I'd have sprawled there helpless and listened to such unfairness, such lies, such injustice and plotting and backbiting and slandering of me? If I could have up and told you what I thought of you, I wonder I didn't burst. You dreamt it all, Mr. Mangan. We were only saying how beautifully peaceful you looked in your sleep. That was all, wasn't it, Ellie? Believe me, Mr. Mangan, all those unpleasant things that came into your mind in the last half-second before you woke. Ellie rubbed your hair the wrong way, and the disagreeable sensation suggested a disagreeable dream. I believe in dreams. So do I. But they go by contraries, don't they? I shan't forget to my dying day that when you gave me the glad eye that time in the garden you were making a fool of me. That was a dirty, low, mean thing to do. You had no right to let me come near you if I disgusted you. It isn't my fault if I'm old and haven't a moustache like a bronze candlestick as your husband has. There are things no decent woman would do to a man, like a man hitting a woman in the breast. Hesione, utterly shamed, sits down on the sofa and covers her face with her hands. Mangan sits down also on his chair, and begins to cry like a child. Ellie stares at them. Mrs. Hushabye, at the distressing sound he makes, takes down her hands and looks at him. She rises and runs to him. "'Don't cry. I can't bear it. Have I broken your heart? I didn't know you had one. How could I?' "'I'm a man, ain't I?' "'Oh, no. Not what I call a man. Only a boss.' Just that, and nothing else. What business has a boss with a heart? Then you're not a bit sorry for what you did, nor ashamed. I was ashamed for the first time in my life when you said that about hitting a woman in the breast, and I found out what I'd done. My very bones blushed red. You've had your revenge, boss. Aren't you satisfied? Serve you right. Do you hear? Serve you right. You're just cruel. Cruel. Yes, cruelty would be delicious if one could only find some sort of cruelty that really didn't hurt. By the way, sitting down beside him on the arm of the chair, what's your name? It's not really Boss, is it? If you want to know, my name's Alfred. Mrs. Hushabye springs up. Alfred? Ellie, he was christened after Tennyson. I was christened after my uncle and never had a penny from him. Damn him, what of it? It comes to me suddenly that you were a real person, that you had a mother like anyone else. Putting her hands on his shoulders and surveying him. Little Alf. Well, you have a nerve. And you have a heart, Alfie. A whimpering little heart, but a real one. Releasing him suddenly. Now run and make it up with Ellie. She has had time to think what to say to you, which is more than I had. She goes out quickly into the garden by the porch door. That woman has a pair of hands that go right through you. Still in love with her, in spite of all we said about you? Are all women like you, too? 
Do they never think of anything about a man except what they can get out of him? You weren't even thinking that about me. You were only thinking whether your gloves would last. I shall not have to think about that when we are married. And you think I'm going to marry you after what I have heard here? You heard nothing from me that I did not tell you before. Perhaps you think I can't do without you. I think you would feel lonely without us all, now, after coming to know us so well. Am I never to have the last word? Captain Shotover, appearing at the starboard garden door. There is a soul in torment here. What is the matter? This girl doesn't want to spend her life wondering how long her gloves will last. Captain Shotover, passing through. Don't wear any. I never do. He goes into the pantry. End of Part 1 of Act 2